We're turning together to Proverbs this afternoon. We've been looking at different topics in Proverbs. This book lends to topical considerations. But we also have other avenues to take like potpourri, uh, verses that are not really covered under topics but are very helpful and necessary to uh, dwell upon. And then there are what we call what are called repeated verses in Proverbs. By repeating verses, we might say this is the way that uh, truths would be underlined and highlighted. We have our highlighting markers and our underlining pens and and rulers, but repetition is a way in which truth is emphasized. Not that to the um, the meaning of other truths, but that there are certain truths that really need to keep ever before us. Last week, for instance, we looked at the fear of the Lord, which is repeated, not verbatim, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge in chapter 1, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, chapter 9, and then other verses that speak of the fear of the Lord. And we looked at the fact that we should fear the Lord because of who He is, His attributes, His works, His words. But we looked at how we should fear the Lord uh, by having faith, for instance. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Faith is an evidence that you fear the Lord. Departing from evil, chapter 16. Not envying sinners. Listening and learning from Scripture. Uh, the use of knowledge, the use of Proverbs is a way in which we show our fear of the Lord. We take His words seriously. Just simply having a knowledge of God that we're developing is an evidence of the fear of God. And then there are some effects of the fear of God, prolonging of days, that it's a fountain of life, and that we receive honor from the Lord. Even that honors me, I will honor. This afternoon, what I'd like us to do is to combine three repeated Proverbs because they, they do lend to the combination. In chapter 14 and verse 12 and 16 and 25, it says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And then in chapter 10, verse 2, and in chapter 11, verse 4, it says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath. Or in, in, in the next state, treasures of wickedness profit nothing. But the, the, the main repeat is righteousness delivers from death. So riches and treasures profit nothing in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And the third uh, repeat, 11.21 and 16.5, it says... Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. So though hand join in hand is the repeat. It tells us the wicked and those who are proud in heart, though they join hand in hand, they will not go unpunished. But it does give us the opposite. The seed of the righteous shall be delivered. 
And it doesn't say that the seed of the righteous is going hand in hand. They're not trusting in the multitude of those who are going in the, in the right direction. They're trusting in the Lord. So those three, I believe we can combine to uh, consider the exclusivity of the way of salvation. The way of salvation is unique. There's only one way. Though many roads may lead to Rome or many roads may lead to Buffalo, there's only one road that leads to eternal life. But because we have such a deceitful devil and deceived fallen creatures, the devil has tried to uh, offer other ways of salvation that seem right. But the Lord tells us the, the end thereof are the ways of death. So the first thought is there is a way of salvation. There is a way of salvation. There is a road into eternal life, a bridge to heaven. The Bible teaches there's a bridge to heaven and a bridge to hell. There's one way to heaven, but we might even say there's one way to hell, the opposite of the way of heaven. Uh, the opposite of grace. Though it may be works righteousness or simply not being religious, as some say, I'm not a religious person or just an atheist or having a false religion, they're all on the same road that's wide to destruction. In Psalm 1, it talks about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. One way for each one. One path, one direction. And the topic is the fact that there is an end. There is a conclusion. There's a way which seemeth right. There, uh, there is a way which seemeth right, but the uh, to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So he talks talks about a, an end, but it's a dead end. It's the way of death. Notice it says. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Interesting. It's one end, but even the ways. So there may be many roads that lead to the one end of destruction. Now the assumption is there are, there's a way to life that they have not chosen. So the Lord teaches us there is a way of salvation. But He's warning here that there are counterfeit ways. They seem right, but they're wrong. They seem to give an indication that we're going in the right direction, but we're actually going in the wrong direction. Have you ever been lost? And you've been confident that you're taking the right way? And you end up being miles and miles away from where you should have been. I can remember when we were traveling on... Route 90 West toward Erie from here. We were supposed to go south on Route 79 toward Pittsburgh. But I, I must have been too talkative because the next thing I know it said, Welcome to Ohio. And I was still on Route 90 West. I was quite a ways away from where I should have turned. The word seem, by the way, is supplied because... It says there's a way which is right to a man, 
But, that's why they supply seem. Because the, the word but says it's not the right way. There's a way which is right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So that's why they supply seem. And it's a correct supply. Though in many of our Bibles it's not in italics, yet you will not find it in the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, so the word seemeth should really be in italics. But it's a correct supply, insertion there. Because they wouldn't be taking that way. They wouldn't think it was right. They wouldn't have taken that way unless they thought, the word seem means to think, even to conclude that the way is going toward heaven and yet it is going toward hell. In other words, they're deceived. They're following the false way. And they're not only deceived, but they're doomed because it says the end thereof are the ways of death. It's a dead end. And it's more than a dead end. You can't turn around once you've, once you've come to the conclusion of that way. Now, as long as there's breath, there's hope to turn around. Maybe you've been on a road that you didn't know was a dead end or you forgot to read the sign that said now they're trying to be politically correct and they're saying no outlet. But it's a dead end. And you have an opportunity then to turn around. But once a person goes off the cliff, as it were, spiritually, there's no opportunity to turn around. No second chance. In other words, they shouldn't have taken that road. It's a dangerous road. And the Lord is the one who is teaching us this. He has seen many people die without Christ. Hell is filling up. The Lord Himself knows. He's, this is a person that is on this side and on that side of the grave. This is a person who is eternal. And He has seen it happen. And the Lord has given us instances of people that have gone down alive into the pit. And those that even would speak if they could, if they were given the opportunity. Some would say, give me a drink of water, make my suffering more easily experienced. Or some would say, tell my relatives before they come to this place. Or some would say, I don't understand why I'm here. Lord, Lord, have, I, have not I done these things in Your name? But the, the ways that are, are deceive, deceiving here are treasures of wickedness and riches. Now this is the particular uh, false way that is given to us in, in, the, uh, in chapter 10 verse 2 and chapter 11 and verse 4. And you would think, why would someone think that, tre that treasures and riches are a road to eternity? Well, ask the disciples that. You remember when Jesus said it, hard, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven? You would think that the disciples would have said, well, we understand that, Lord. People trust in their riches as idols. So, But what did the disciples say? Who then can be saved? What's the logic there? They're thinking 
that those people who have treasures and are rich are right with God. I remember not really being able to come to terms with that text. And I remember it was John MacArthur that made the statement that in the Bible, many of the rich people are believers. And we can come to the false conclusion that a person who's rich has to have the blessing of God, but they're not seeing the blessing as common only, but they're seeing it as, a, as a, an uncommon, a saving kind of blessing. And that's not always true. Now, we know Abraham and Job and uh, perhaps even the Apostle Paul and, and uh, others in the Bible were wealthy and could handle their wealth and were, were believers. But we know that Jesus taught that a person who's rich is very hard to win because, like Proverbs says, their riches are a high wall in their own conceit. The riches are a false prop. You know, they can buy anything at their fingertips. They, they buy friends. They buy uh, things. They buy positions. They buy houses and lands. But they don't realize that, that wealth is not um, interchangeable after death. Wealth is not going to have any leverage with God or with anyone beyond death. You can't take it with you. Though people have been buried with their cars or buried with their money or buried with their gems, they can't take it with them. It remains in their coat pocket, in their shirt pocket as it will. It remains in the earth. Idols or riches are idols that are like mirages. They're mistaken evidences of salvation. And we have to be very careful that we don't mistake riches or good works as evidences of salvation. Jesus describes some other false roads. The deceitfulness of riches, he used one. That was the, that's a description of these treasures of wickedness and, and uh, even riches that do not profit in the day of wrath. He said the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, they're just too busy and anxious, they lose time. They lose out. Have you ever seen a, a team that's the time is running out and, the, and the, uh, the player doesn't realize that time is ticking and they dribble and finally the, the horn blows and they run out of time. And that's often... a the case with a lost soul. They run out of time. They may have said, I'll get to it one day. When it's time to die, I'll have an opportunity. Or they're just so busy with the cares of this world, the horn blows. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. And you don't want that to happen. You don't want to run out of time. He gets, the devil wants us to be so busy, doesn't he? And so taken up with the cares of this world that we don't focus on the cares of the next world, the concern of the next world. Then he says the lusts of other things. People are too busy being entertained. Entertainment will choke the soul. 
You know, it's interesting how people are complaining of children in their 30s and 40s still being dominated by video games and not being interested in, in courting and, and in marriage and having a family and developing toward retirement. False religion is has its many false ways, doesn't it? Following Muhammad or Allah or Buddha or uh, following a false way of Christianity. Instead of following Christ, they're following idols. Works righteousness. Just working hard, doing good, being a philanthropist. And they're absolutely confident that God is going to reward them at the day of judgment. They're absolutely confident that if their good, their good works outweigh their bad works, that they'll be in heaven. So confident that they'll, as Jesus said, they'll want to argue with the Lord. Lord, Lord. Using His name twice. They're saying, we know you. We were church members. We went to Protestant churches. We, we gave our money. We, we tithe. We went more than with tithe. We were deacons. We were elders. We, were, we went on visitation. We visited in the nursing homes. We went to the prayer meetings. Works righteousness. Jesus said, I'll ne- I never knew you. Those are horrifying words, aren't they? You recognize me, but I don't recognize you. And what we should be saying is, Lord, do you recognize me as a child of God? Are my works a result of your work? Or am I thinking that my work will earn your work, your grace, your gift of salvation? And again, how many have been slain by just the assumption of God's goodness? I just know He's going to show clemency to me at that day. Dare to die thinking that God is just going to let them by. No matter whether they prepared or not. I wonder if anybody has ever come to the point where they had a loved one die and they thought the loved one had a life insurance policy. And they found out, no, they didn't prepare. He never had a life insurance policy. Well, I assume he did. And what is it going to do for them? Nothing. And, you know, people will actually have life insurance policies and they're preparing for physical death on an earthly basis. But what about an insurance policy for eternity? The devil doesn't want you to think about that kind of insurance or assurance in the Lord Jesus. There is a way of salvation but like anything else, the devil is a counter, counterfeiter. Counterfeit money. Counterfeit policies. Counterfeit ways of salvation. They look good. They seem, they seem strong. But the end thereof are the ways of death. In other words, the Lord is saying the traveler on that road will be surprised. Just like some of us have been, have been surprised by taking the wrong road or not taking the right road, continuing on the wrong road. Well, this is serious. These 
truths are repeated in Proverbs. There is a way of salvation. But be warned, there are many counterfeit ways that many, many, Jesus said, there are many on the wide road of destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. So there is a way of salvation. Secondly, there is a salvation of the way. There is a way of salvation, many counterfeit ways, but there is the salvation of the way. What is it? In Proverbs 10, verse 2 and verse 4 of Proverbs 11, righteousness delivers from death. Righteousness delivers from death. Now you and I know it cannot be physical death that it's it's delivering us from. Because many righteous people have died physically. Abraham was made righteous, declared righteous. He died, though he lived 175 years. Even Methuselah, who was declared righteous, lived 969 years and died. This has to talking about has to be talking about spiritual death. Righteousness delivers from spiritual death. Now what is that? What is righteousness? We better find out what it is because it is the way to life versus riches and good works and lusts and false religion. Righteousness is a, a legal term and the Bible describes scales, weights, as being righteous or unrighteous, just or unjust. So it's a a legal term. It's a business term. Remember what Daniel said to Belshazzar, Thou art weighed in the balance and found wanting. You're light on God's balance. God has balances. What's on this side and what's on this side? What's on this side is God's righteousness. Perfection. That's the weight. That's the standard. And you and I are put on this side. And anything other than Jesus Christ, we are wanting. We are light. Anything else but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called the righteous one. The righteous for the unrighteous that He might bring us to God. Now in... In Proverbs, there are two kinds of righteousnesses. There's the legal righteousness where God declares us righteous because of the work of Christ. That is our standing with God spiritually. And then there is moral righteousness, doing right, telling the truth, uh, being generous, um, being kind, honoring your father and mother. Now, mostly Proverbs, as it's written to Christians how to navigate in this world of, un, of immorality. Most of righteousness in Proverbs is dealing with moral righteousness. Telling the truth and uh, being, you know, honoring your, your, your elders and uh, fearing God. These are expressions. These are, are works of righteousness. And we can say both are true here. Righteousness delivers from death. 
Moral righteousness in the Bible gives evidence of legal righteousness. And legal righteousness will proceed to moral righteousness. So even though a person has good works, are they based upon the fact that he's in Christ, that he's justified, that he's declared righteous? Or are they the good works of a lost sinner? The Bible teaches that the only works that God accepts as far as um, moral, moral righteousness is the work of a Christian who's been born again. Where the Bible says if you're born again, you'll do righteousness. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29. But both are true. You've got to be justified by the work of Christ to be delivered from death. And you have to have sanctification to prove your justification to be delivered from death. To be able to say, the Lord is my righteousness, Jehovah said Kenu. To say, I am justified by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And my works are not in order to gain salvation, but my good works are meant to be an evidence that I have been saved. They're a a fruit of God's regeneration power. So Proverbs, though it focuses mostly on moral righteousness, the underlying truth is the fact that we are justified in Christ. Justification leads to sanctification, and sanctification evidences justification. We're saved by faith, not by works, by the means of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, show me your faith by your works. That's the point I'm trying to make, that moral righteousness is showing your faith by your works. And as you and I work for the Lord, we're saying our work is motivated by the love of God. It's motivated by salvation that God has secured in my heart. I'm first rich toward God and then I seek to labor for His namesake. So that's the salvation of the way. It's righteousness. Do you have the righteousness of God? Do you have the righteousness that comes from God today? Or are you basing your salvation in your own self-righteousness. So we have the way of salvation which has counterfeit ways and we have the salvation of the way. Salvation is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is reckoned to our account. And our sanctification evidences the fact that we are in Christ. So what's the deciding factor? In the third repeated proverb, it says, Though hand join in hand, they shall not go unpunished. That's in distinction to delivering from death. They're confident because they're with the crowd. That's the point. Hand join in hand, you're holding hands with the multitude. How can I be wrong if there are so many that are joining hands with me? I cannot be wrong if I'm in the majority. That's the frenzy of the crowd. 
There's a man that wrote a book about how people who are mild change like that when they're in a crowd. They would never do, they would never, in other words, when people get in a crowd, they can become a mob very quickly. A person that's very kind and soft, spoken and gentle, if he's in a crowd, he could be worked up in a frenzy to even uh, rob and mob someone. Just like those police down south, the five or six of them that got together and kicked that man to death. They didn't exhibit that kind of behavior when they were alone. But when they got together, there was the frenzy of the crowd. Well, the frenzy of this religious crowd is, we can't be in the wrong. We're together in this. It's, it's, the, it's the spirit of the Tower of Babel. It's the spirit that the Lord speaks of the end days, that they'll surround the camp. The crowd will surround the camp. The picture there is the whole world is trusting in their way of salvation. That they think that the numbers alone will overcome the message of the Gospel and the Lord Himself who will descend from heaven. Though hand join in hand, they will not go unpunished. The frenzy of the crowd. In other words, they're saying, we'll see it at that day who's right. We won't be disappointed we're in the right. We're in the majority. But what did the Lord say to His people? Do not follow a multitude to do evil. Most likely, the multitude's in the wrong. There were only eight people that trusted in the Lord. The multitude trusted in human reason before the rains began to fall in Noah's day. Only eight got in the ark. The crowd was with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. It talks about how confident they were. They, their wives and children came to the tent doors as if I dare you. I dare you to judge me. It's our word versus your word. The Bible says we don't rest in the multitude of People. We rest in the Scriptures. We rest in the record of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember hearing of D.L. Moody who was going to debate an atheist and he said to the atheist, I want you tomorrow night to bring to this auditorium the people that have been changed by the, mes meth the message of atheism. Bring in the people that have been made sober by atheism. That have come off their, their addictions by atheism. Bring in your evidences. And the man didn't show up. And D.L. Moody brought hundreds of people that could say, I was once blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. It's the message that brings salvation. Proverbs 16.2 says, this is the level of man's reasoning. Chapter 16 and verse 2, it's an interesting verse. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. This is the level of man's thinking. 
He's clean in His own eyes. He's got to be right. The road He's following is the right road. But do we weigh our reasoning with the truth? The Lord goes on to say, everyone that is proud in heart is abomination to the Lord. Verse 5. Though hand join in hand, he shall not go unpunished. You can be as confident and proud of your way as possible, but the Lord says you will not overcome. But he says the seed of the righteous in chapter 11 will be delivered. That is, the elect of God, they're promised that they'll be delivered. Our confidence is not in our numbers. Our confidence is not that we're hand-to-hand in our sentiments. Our confidence is not in the crowd. It's not in the coin. It's not in charity, doing good. Our confidence is in Christ. It's not hand joining in hand. It's faith leaning on Christ. The deciding factor. And this is the sad part. People have this idea... Wait and see. We're right. We'll be right. I'll bank on my way and you bank on your way. And that's not how we look at it. We say, look, you've got to read the Scriptures. There's got to be a standard of truth that tells us not only how to get to heaven, but the the Bible actually gives us people that have been in heaven and have come back. And they're they're alive. Jesus went to heaven and He rose from the dead and He walked on the earth. We have Elijah and Moses who went to heaven and they've come back again. Jesus gives us parables of people who've gone to hell and what their attitude is. They're no longer hand joining in hand. They're saying, I was wrong. Give me a second chance. Or I was wrong if I can't have a second chance. Send somebody to my brothers and tell them they're wrong. And tell them what's right. We're not saying to people, well, you choose your way and I choose my way. We'll see who's right. No, we say, brother, friend, there's one way to heaven. We're not arrogantly saying, we'll take our position you take yours. No, God has to open your eyes. The Bible is our way, is our standard. The Bible says that there are people that have been lifted up to heaven without dying. The Bible tells us about a Savior who rose from the dead. About people who've reappeared after they've gone. Sinners who've been converted from all kinds of addictions, all kinds of sins. There are visions from God and voices of God to people like Stephen and Paul. Bonafide miracles. Solutions to sin and guilt by the sacrificial offering of Christ. Comforting promises. The beauty of Scripture. The glory of Christ. We're not banking on our works righteousness or our wealth righteousness or our ritual righteousness. But we are trusting in the Scriptures who tells us who, what people were saved, what people were resurrected, what people will have hope, and what people will have no hope. Our 
focus is in God's Word. It really comes down to the truth of God. The exclusivity of the way of salvation. There is a way, but there are many counterfeit ways. Make sure you're on the right road. Make sure you're taking the right way. And the salvation of the way is the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. The deciding factor is not joining a multitude, but trusting in Christ. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ before you die. And you can't say, well, I'll have my opportunity. No, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't wait till tomorrow. Someone told me this week recently that their, their loved one was, was just sitting at the table with them and they were interested in what he was going to preach that week. And they were riveted. Their attention was riveted to the message. And he sensed that they were moved by it. And he said, will you trust Christ now? Will you believe on Him now? And the person just sat back and said, give me the night to think on it. And he said, when she woke up in the morning, it was a relative that was staying with him. She was as cold as ice. Didn't want another word said to her about the message. What's What's the lesson? Now is the accepted time. Trust Christ while the word is fresh. While the conviction is strong while the realization of your lostness is acute, trust the Lord now. Believe on Him now. Because the heart is deceitful above all. Uh, You might think, well, I'm soft now. Surely I'll have to be softer in the morning. No, you may be soft today. And like the clay, when the sun hits it, it's hard as a rock. Oh, please, trust in Christ as your own Savior. Now, get on the right road. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by Him. And may I even caution all of us, stay on the right road. I'm not saying that a Christian can lose his salvation, but a person that isn't saved may get off the way. And a person that's saved might be be taken on crossroads away from following Christ. And as it were, the devil loves us to, to, to uh, be saturated in the world, doesn't he? He wants us to get off the serious way, as it were, and to lose time, to friddle away our, our life. May God help us to be faithful, serious, serving Him. O oh Lord, stir our hearts to follow after Thee fully, Lord, you know the devil is sleek, he's, he's subtle, he's wicked, he's deceitful. Lord, Thou knowest that he wants us to sin against Thee. He wants us to lose a zeal for God, a zeal for souls. Lord, please keep the fire burning. Stir up our souls, Lord. May we be burning and shining lights like John the Baptist. Lord Jesus, pray for us. People are so duped and deceived. They're confident, Lord. They're on a dead end. Thou knowest, Thou hast told us. We've seen it happen, Lord. 
We have met people that seemed tender-hearted and touched and moved. And they didn't close with Thee. And now they're as cold as ice, indifferent, antagonistic. Oh, Heavenly Father, save sinners. Awaken people now. May the Spirit of God be moving. Even now, as Your Word is preached throughout the world, disappoint the devil. Build Your kingdom. Revive Your church, Lord. Glorify Your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please help us to use the rest of our life, the rest of our time to the glory of God. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, confessing our sins, pleading the blood, begging souls to cry out to Christ for salvation. Oh, let us quit, Lord, until our last breath. May it be for the glory of Your name. In Jesus' name, Amen.